Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 460. My name is Minter Dial and I'm your host for this podcast, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network. For more information or to check out other shows on the network, please visit evergreenpodcasts.com. So this week's interview is with Warren Richmond. Warren is founder and CEO of Situ.Live, a completely new concept for retail based in West London. Warren is also chair of the Retail Marketing Group, connecting tech brands with consumers across the world. In this conversation with Warren, we discuss the Situ.Live concept, how they strive to create a novel experience for shoppers, their business model, choice of brands, selection of personnel, and much more around the future of retail. You'll find all the show notes on minterdial.com. Please do consider to drop in your rating and review. And don't forget to subscribe to catch all the future episodes. Now for the show with Warren Richmond. Warren Richmond, what a great pleasure it is to have you on the show. You are an inspiration in what you are trying to do. You're the CEO and founder of a very new retail concept called Situ Live. Um, you're also chair of the Retail Marketing Group. And I wanted to have you on the show to uh, just dig in on the future of retail. So first of all, Warren, in your own words, how'd you like to describe yourself? Me? Uh, well, firstly, what a, what a welcome. Thank you very much, Minter. Um, and thanks for having me on. Um, uh, a bit about me, I suppose, how would I describe myself? Probably maybe a product marketeer. I, I think I've always been fascinated in products and how they help us live um, a better life. Uh, since a very early age and and I kind of I grew up with very little actually so that entrepreneurial spirit um, kind of courses through through my blood a little bit uh, in terms of just you know making my way in the world so so there, there's two two angles there I think entrepreneurial spirit and a bit of a product marketeer somebody fascinated in stuff and in in to get into Warren's mind then which are some of the brands that he might tattoo on his body the products that you love. Oh, what a! <laughs> uh, I have to say, Spotify is my first go-to. Uh, I know it's a service, but I, when I discovered actually Napster before Spotify with Sonos, uh, when when I helped Sonos when they launched in the UK, uh, and and then and then Spotify, you know, who doesn't love music and who doesn't love the feeling of what it does for you? So the ability to just have any song anywhere is definitely worth a tattoo. I'm not sure where it would. Go, uh, definitely <laughs> worth a tattoo. Um, yeah, that's probably my go-to, Minter. I don't know if I can yeah, have but, any more tattoos. Well, the, well, first of all, you know, I'm not asking you to tattoo just yet. Um, ta- <laughs> tattoo you, someone said that. Um, do you have a favorite playlist? Um, I sort of made my own, and it's kind of eclectic. It's quite a mix. Uh, I'm some of it's probably quite embarrassing. Not that I really care anymore. Um, and it goes from probably. A little bit of classical when you're feeling in that type of mood, right through to probably a bit of more contemporary pop. Uh, and, and actually, I've got two young boys and they are my, my eldest, who's now just turned 11. He's listening to some really interesting stuff. So I'm starting to feel old and like I'm not right sort of keeping up with what the kids are listening to. So oh, I've got to get beautiful. on it. Well, if, on it. I don't know if it's any consolation, but my children are, are into their 20s. And they're listening 
to it seems my age of music, you know, 70s and 80s, uh, uh, at least as much as the modern music. So we'll see where that goes. Warren, now let's talk about how you got to where you got to. What, let's say, you know, the, the, the founding of and running of Situ Live, what's the back, what's your background to get to this point? Um, I mean, I'll go right back. One of my early jobs was actually uh, demoing printers, as exciting as that sounds, and it was actually, by the way, uh, in, in PC World. Whilst... <laughs> exactly that. In fact, we were demoing at the time and selling dot matrix printers. This was back in the late 90s in PC World. That was very exciting. Um, but I, I sort of found a passion for demoing product to people who really didn't know what this tech coming through did. Um, so I uh, did quite a bit of that, ended up setting up my own agency to do that for brands like Samsung and LG in my kind of mid twenties, but very quickly became quite disillusioned, I suppose, with the retail market in the fact that actually there were some great products out there and things like cost of space, margin, lots of that kind of more commercial stuff and how retail worked got in the way of really bringing stuff to life. Um, and only the, the brands that could afford to bring it to life were the brands you know, that already made it. So you'd already seen the product. So mm. I think the start for me was um, you know, well over 10 years ago when I, when I started dreaming about, well, what if retail became something different? Uh, and then me being me, I sort of obsessed about how would one change retail if, if one could? Uh, and, and yeah, the, the, the next sort of 10 years ensued. Um, yeah, it's, it's been an interesting journey since then, really. So what, if I hear from you correctly, what you're saying is that it sounds like the best retail is no longer about discovery because the brand is already well known and is attracting people to it because the brand doesn't need to be discovered anymore. I think the brands, the brands with big cash have already have already got the ability to put their product out there and. You know, we, we do know some really good examples of good retail like, um, you know, Samsung have got experience stores and, and Apple. But the, these are brands that can afford to do do those kind of things. And if they choose to bring their product to life, I think when you talk about discovery, it's a great word, by the way, Mento. discovery is a fantastic word. There is so much to discover from so many brands who actually probably can't afford to even get into retail. And when you see certainly through um, COVID, so many more D2C, direct-to-consumer D2C brands opening up um, with really interesting product. Um, an electric scooter from a Brit, an unknown British brand based down in the Southwest. Um, it's a fantastic product, but you know, bringing that to life somehow, you know, really, really important. So I, th I think the word discovery, definitely. How do you discover products in their natural real setting um, in a really cost-effective way? Um, for brands and and that does something for the consumer that you know allows you to enjoy it if that makes sense yeah it does so i mean i i, I when i look at retail as i've had the pleasure and chance to do over the many years in many many countries i often see promise but the challenge is delivery execution and and one of the challenges that i see in retail so heavily is the personnel because as a rule, it's not attracting you know, top university graduates, let's just say. The, the pay doesn't equate, it's, it's, not, it's not highbrow stuff, it's really about service. And the delivery of that experience through the personnel seems to be the hardest thing. In your experience, what do you think is the hardest part of retail? 
I think um, I, I kind of want to answer that and address that that point you just made because I, I don't disagree. Actually, I think the hardest part in retail is is probably right now working out what the purpose of retail is actually, um, and and addressing the people side, which you know managing people and getting the right people. Um, and the right balance with a certain job and a certain um, desire, you know, that that is a challenge. I, I honestly, honestly feel, Minta, that the, the commercial model of retail is wrong. And therefore, if the commercial model is around sales on the day and you get sales associates, and we know they're called sales associates, and merchandisers to stack shelves, but you are competing with the digital um, space, which is doing the same, then I, I don't know where the investment will come from um, to put into really good hiring processes, pay, uh, training, et cetera. I think if you change the commercial model, so actually the purpose of retail is about the experience, uh, then actually you've got a different mandate and you've got investment capital to put into better better quality staff, let's say, or better training for staff or a better pool of staff. Um, and as an example, without blowing our, our own trumpet, literally just this morning, we, we pushed the button to hire an actual chef, which is highly exciting to hire an actual chef um, to be live in our Bosch, our, our Bosch nutritional kitchen. So that suddenly changes the game um, rather than getting you know, a sales associate to be helping you to buy an oven. I mean, it, it, it's just a completely different kettle of fish. And it's because the investment is, is now pointed at a different thing, if that makes sense. You have different expense lines per se. Absolutely. Which means you can shift it around. I, I was reading um, uh, last year, there was an article that talked about how Oxford Street put up a big sign saying, let's change the way we shop. Uh, I kind of feel like it's, let's change the way we sell in a shop is the real notion, as opposed to telling us how consumers, how we shop the issue is more with the businesses and the, the retailers themselves and trying to reconfigure the way they sell in a shop. I, I, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. It goes back to the purpose of retail. Um, I, I, I love the Harry Selfridge example on, on the turn of the century, um, opening Selfridges and, and the things that he did to change the way um, we shop. But now, because of the digital age, it is the way we sell. Because let's face it, majority of people go into a store, an environment, they experience stuff, they see stuff, and then they research online, and then they'll buy somewhere else. So retail premises and retail locations isn't necessarily just about sales. Uh, it, it is about actually the experience, and it is about the discovery. So. The, the sales, the sales piece, I mean, it's a great phrase you, you, you raise, change the way we sell, because people are buying online. So how can physical bricks and mortar sustain something that's not happening? Um, again, it comes back to that commercial model. Um, and then, you know, the shopping is the, the outcome, isn't it? It is. A, 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 in an article I read, um, there's a woman called Lindy Woodhead, who's a fashion industry expert and author of the book, Shopping, seduction, and Mr. Selfridge, you just raised uh, the Selfridges story. She says that the main reason people want to visit Selfridges is the building. <laughs> it's a shame, really. <laughs> You'd think it was the people, I would hope. I mean, it's a beautiful building, I have to say, and it's in a, it's in a, a relatively good location. Um, 
Uh, yeah, I think it, it's got to be what what is filling buildings. And, you know, we, we've, we've looked at a lot of different avenues in property, actually. And we know there's a lot of property around and lots of property conferences on, on, on you know, space and, and lettings and landlords are having a tough time. But uh, surely this is all about what fills, what fills building, what attracts you to what's inside something. Um, and it's got to leave a lasting feeling and impression, which I suppose in some respects, Minter, a building can. Um, I'm sure the architects will say it will, but um, it, it's got to be about people and engagement and discovering something that leaves a lasting impression. Um, not that I'm disagreeing, and it's a great title for a book. I love her book. It sounds great. It is. Um, so the state of retail, obviously, around the world uh, is fairly similar. But let's describe specifically in the UK where we are in retail today. The numbers, uh, are we coming back? Uh, what's the what's the deal with the retail numbers and how do you describe let's say online versus offline and where the growth is or isn't i think um i i mean i really feel we're at a turning point a massive turning point i think um footfall numbers are are still buoyant you know i think if you if you look at what human nature says humans want to do stuff and i remember seeing the articles forget retail for the moment but the articles of, of, if you remember in the news, between the two lockdowns last year, people flooding to beaches in the summer, um, mm. you know, and, and, and the close proximity, even though you had to be two, um, uh, uh, two foot apart, you know, I just, the, the, the amount of people just getting out there and, and doing stuff, people want to do stuff. So going to a, re a place where, whether it's retail or whether it's leisure or, or whether it's other activities, people want to get out there and, and experience stuff. So footfall numbers are up. Um, retail sales, where is that coming from? I, th I think it's really difficult to tell uh, because the, the blurring lines between people purchasing online in-store, uh, purchasing online after they've been to a store, purchasing um, in-store after researching online, I, th I think the lines are really blurred and we see data, but how valid is the data? All that we can say is that um, you know, sales are still happening whether it's online, online or offline. I, I really believe that offline has its place um, in, in facilitating an online transaction. And again, that's what Situ is really trying to challenge. And the final thing I will say is, is having been on a few different panel, panel conferences uh, in the coming past, past few months, there's some really interesting new initiatives, whether it's pop-up initiatives or, or others in the retail space. And, and I'm, I'm really excited. You're seeing that the seeds of change happening now. Um, it, there really is a turning point happening for those entrepreneurial businesses or people out there that want to not even capitalize, just change something. Um, and and I, I think we're going to see a very different use of the word retail in the next decade, which I think is fascinating and really exciting. Mm. Which is a wonderful, I think, uh, time to start talking about actually what is Situ? What is Situ Live, Warren? Um, do you know, to, to be honest, Minter, before we opened, we really struggled to sort of describe and explain it. And I think now I would feel very confident in kind of describing it as a living magazine. Um, we, we have an editor, actually. We've taken, we, we, we hired in an editor from a very um, popular tech uh, magazine, um, and he, he writes editorial content and copy and stories, which our presenters in the venue 
um, use and talk about to, to people that come in. We also have um, six experiential theatres. So if I go back to the kitchen example, we've got a, uh, the, the Bosch Nutritional Kitchen, but that also features appliances by you know, Sage with their fantastic coffee machines, Tefal, um, et cetera. And, and we can therefore present a real kitchen, a real life environment in an experiential theatre where we're cooking real food and we're giving you real coffee to taste. Because rather than a product on a shelf getting dusty with a box underneath it at, you know, a thousand pounds, you want to touch the machine, feel the machine, you know, taste the coffee, because fundamentally that's, that's what the product's going to do for you. It's going to give you coffee. So, so really a living magazine is bringing the best of what the products can do for you and how it helps you enhance your life. The last bit is we've got the digital side where you can then QR code any product you see. And the aim and what we're building towards is then showcasing all the places you can buy the products. So whether that's Curry's or John Lewis or AO or direct from the manufacturer, we can then show you the best deals and the best um, prices in the market, which no other, whether you call it retailer or place, uh, can, can do or is doing at the moment um, in retail. So I hope that describes it well enough. It's lovely. And in, in listening to you, Warren, it makes me, let's say, understand that at some level, you're really not considered a threat by your competitive stores. I, I, I champion, and I've said this many times, I really champion anything that puts stuff into the physical high street. I think we, we, we are humans that need to go out and see stuff. It would be such a shame to see environments close um, that could be so vibrant. And I'm not saying we have the answer to every high street right now, but whether it's Amazon Four Star or John Lewis or, you know, the more investment that can go into physical spaces that does really exciting stuff for people um yeah that gets our vote at situ and, and we want to help and support that so yeah we, we wouldn't consider ourselves a threat to online clearly i mean uh, that would be hard but we want to complement that complement any physical retail and, and certainly complement um any any brand that wants to come in as well and i suspect that the the world should be looking at the uk it was napoleon who said we are a nation of shopkeepers um, and and what happens on the retail side in in the UK? Maybe a for uh, you may be a harbinger of what's to come in the future. And and it's interesting when you when you talk about in the press, I've seen you talk about how you really want to change the economic business model of retail. Usually, that like an Uber uh, entails some kind of massive disruption and usually a little bit of hate mail. Whereas you really are embracing all of retail within your shop. And yet you're a shop where you can buy nothing. I mean, not off the shelf. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I haven't had any hate mail yet either. And I'm, I suppose I'm a lover, not a fighter. Um, there so, you go. Uh, so there you go. I, um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't like to get any hate mail. But uh, yeah, I, I, I think doing, doing this for good reason and doing this for the right purpose, um, disrupting for good. Um, and I, I sort of like the word disruption, but... but yeah, we need to do it for the right reasons and for good reasons um, and kind of work with the rest of retail. So, um, so yeah, I think, I think for us, we definitely want to disrupt. Um, we've definitely had only positive reviews at the moment from anybody coming in and, and we're only four months into a, a new vision, really. So we've got a long way to go. and We've got a lot 
that we want to we want to do. Um, so and, and, you know, your example about sort of maybe Uber or maybe even Airbnb and some of these other examples, they're they're definitely interesting, disruptive commercial models. I think we have looked at people first um, because that's what makes up a society. Um, it's not tech first, it's people first. And therefore that dialing up, as we mentioned earlier, of people and how they engage with with other humans coming in is really important to us. Um, and I, I think if you start there, people connecting with people and you can do it in a commercially viable way, um, then hopefully we will get lots of love mail, not hate mail, hopefully. Fingers well, crossed. I, I, do, I want to get back to the, the business model, but it makes me think of a concept in France that's called Café Joyeux. And uh, that means the happy coffee. And the interesting, so they have now six, I think, outlets uh, across France, not just there's the one in Champs-Élysées in Paris, but uh, in other towns around the country. And their concept is that they, their personnel generally all have some kind of disability. And, uh, and therefore, there's a very much a humane element to it. So when they start in, the, in a, a store in, in a town, Rennes or whatever, all the people who are hired are also spokespeople somehow and, and, and are going to naturally bring in people behind this cause. How beautiful that coffee can be served in a great way, in a great location by wonderful people. And, and so it really speaks to this notion of people first. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, we are really, really um, passionate, I suppose is the only word I can use about how we could develop individuals um i think we we found we've got a bit of our cause we haven't quite put it out there yet i think there's a lot we can give back um and that that is really important i love the timpson example if you know the timpson example of of bringing um uh people that have been you know in in prison into work straight away um and you know i don't i don't know the the depths of that but some of the, the writings uh, of that organization have been fantastic. So I think, I think causes to do with um, growing, whether it's, you know, young, young guys that have, and girls that have come out of, out of uni and are not sure what to do next, or, or, or people that are looking for further education or, or people who are just looking for, for something to start a career. I mean, I, I, I came personally, uh, didn't know my father growing up. Mum was incredibly young when she had me. We had nothing growing up. So for me personally, I felt retail saved me. It, it kind of gave me an entry into, into a job uh, and, and helped me started to earn money in a time when I, I actually needed it for food at a young age. Um, so yeah, I think retail, retail has a massive place to help um, people, whether it's earn, earning or learning, uh, about living a better life and and doing more of that would be would be absolutely what what I think we could bring to the economy as well um, and and the less retail jobs <laughs> um, the, the the more the economy will suffer in, in my opinion. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey 
to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. So the way my brain manages, I, I listen and, and I connect disparate thoughts. Um, you said, uh, live a better life in, in just what you said. And that was actually a half of the slogan for the brand that I ran um, for four years called Redkin. And our slogan was earn a better living, live a better life. So it's a shared Amazing. thought, of course, it's all about execution afterwards. Just before, Warren, I was talking about, uh, we were talking about Selfridges on Oxford Street. So a, a building on in a location, Situ Live, is located in Innovation Alley in Westfield Mall. I have to imagine you spent a lot of time thinking about where you wanted to launch Situ. Um. Well, yes, uh, and it's a highly controversial subject in my mind because we were ready and waiting to launch at the end of uh, Regent Street and Piccadilly. If uh, any any of the listeners remember Tower Records, uh, which was then a Virgin Megastore, uh, it's a beautiful building owned by the Crown Estate, um, who uh, who seemingly are fantastic landlords because we had such a great relationship with them. Um, and then just before signing, COVID hit. So all the plans, designs, every all the work we'd done for almost two years, uh, ready to launch um, this, this fantastic location, which was very standalone and probably very Selfridges in the same way as, as you described that building, uh, were, were, th- were thrown, thrown out, I'm afraid. So yeah, I mean, COVID's affect a lot of, a lot of businesses and, and obviously it's affected retail um, dramatically, but we... <laughs> Sad moment. <laughs> I wasn't sure uh, there was going to be a trombone, but uh, there we go. It, it's there. Um, so, so yeah, I think for me, uh, we we changed. We we pivoted very very quickly, um, and you know what what I think we produced. Um, we're really excited about, and actually, um, in in some respects, you make the you make the best, don't you? Of of the things that are put in front of you. So that's right. Even if there was a trombone halfway through that discussion, <laughs> you know, interruptions, disruption. Um, so your location, um, you finally settle on Westfield, uh, which, for those who don't know it, it's a a, a a very strong, big retail presence in the west of London. Um, and it has a, a range that goes all the way up to uh, high luxury. Your alley in particular, where you're located, is right opposite the Apple Store, which must be quite the anchor within Westfield, I'm assuming. Your Yes. Yeah. And so let's just talk about your concept and, and the space you have. You talked about the six experiential lounges or, or I can't remember, the theaters that you have within your space. Does it have to be, is this something like a model that you'd want to reproduce? Or is this basically a showroom just to prove a minimum vile product? What's your strategy with regard to Situ? Um, no, so we, we yeah, we, I mean, we having launched this, we are definitely planning to grow um, at pace. Uh, we, we, as all sort of new initiatives, we're learning some really valuable lessons of the things that are working really well and the things that are working not so well. And we have a real culture of learning, uh, failing fast, all the kind of good stuff that you would expect. 
Um, we've had some fantastic wins, um, which we didn't expect actually, which are really exciting. Um, and, and actually as the world starts to shift and as we see this dramatic shift, even in the types of products, um, yeah, we're learning a lot there. We, we've, we've had a lot of conversation with the brands who want to move at pace to other locations uh, and see this as a, as a real opportunity. So, yeah, I think, I think there's, there's two, two angles, Minta. I think the first angle is how we can uh, scale in, a, in, a, in, a, in an easy uh, and replicated way. Uh, which we've, we've, got a, we've got a notion for and opening our second site um, either at the end of the year or the turn of the beginning of next year. Um, uh, that's to be TBC. But we've got a couple of other initiatives that we want to trial first uh, that, that looks at the digital angle. Uh, we've got something that we're, we're, we're doing in potentially hotels um, and, and actually having some other talks in just a, a little bit of expansion, potentially in Westfield. So we're, we're sort of looking a bit broader um, but also, yes, scaling scaling some of some of what we've learned that does work now uh, is definitely on the card. But not just the UK. I think if we look at where the audience is and when e-com is high, uh, we know that uh, France, Germany, um, uh, US, Canada, and Japan uh, are definitely target markets for us over over a, a rapid expansion over the next few years. Um, but of course, we're four months in, early days. Got to learn some lessons. Mm -hmm, sure. Consolidate where we are. So let's um, get into the nitty gritty of the business model, because as I said, it's a, it's a, it's a large space, six experiential lounges, and yet I can't walk out of the store with a product. So talk us through the, the model that allows you to have these, this discovery, this experiential space in order to fund, because there's always money involved. Yeah, isn't it a shame? Wouldn't it be beautiful if we had a world where it wasn't and we could just do amazing things for each other? Um, that yeah. will happen one day, no doubt. Um, I, yeah, it, it's really simple. Um, brands, uh, brands ultimately want to showcase great innovation um, and it's really hard to find a place for brands to allow you to get your hands on experiencing the latest innovation. So there is a real opportunity there for anyone and, and, and we, we bridge that gap for the moment and I'm sure others will come along. Um, so that, that's the first thing. There is a need for brands to showcase things in real life. Um, brands subscribe to, to our model on a monthly basis and the aim, Minter, is to get their subscription fee, brand subscription fee, as low as possible and then the connection with as many consumers as possible, both um, online and offline. Um, and and therein, therein short is the model. Brands, brands effectively are paying for that connection with a shopper, with a consumer. Um, and if we can get the economics right, so as I say, the, the ROI definitely is there for the brand to connect. Um, then, then that becomes very, very scalable. And we're already seeing it where we can prove either the sales for some brands who want to say, are we making sales? Um, because QR coding and then buying somewhere else, we can still see where that happens and then we can still attribute it. Um, can't always at the moment, and that's something that we're, we're, we're learning and, and growing. Um, brand awareness or product awareness, because again, seeing product digitally that's great but actually really getting close and personal with the product and spending 10 minutes with a product 
you're more likely to fall in love with it, right? So actually showcasing that that more uh, with certain products as well. So there's a blend of objectives and the objectives slightly differ from different, different brands. And again, that, that's been some of the learning over the past four months. Um, but brands want to continue investing. I mean, you know, even, even with the, the latest wave that we've had over the past few months, our revenues haven't, haven't dipped. We've, we've been consistent um, and we maintain what we do. Um, and it's still seeing good results for the brands. Yeah, I'm imagining that obviously the attribution directly to sales is the Valhalla kind of signal uh, that so many marketers and CEOs are, are programmed to want to follow. But attribution of, hey, this 10-minute experience led to eventually a, a sale. There's going to be a need somehow for your subscribers, your brand subscribers, to, to be able to justify the expense all the same. And, and I'm wondering to what extent you're able to help them with these numbers other than just the straight attribution of the sale. Yeah, and it, I think uh, the word is definitely consideration. I mean, when you launch a new product, you know, how do you get it into the hands, literally into the hands of people to then consider purchasing it, especially when some of these products are a little bit more complex, um, especially when you've got, you know, automated blind systems are not easy to consider until you've really experienced it um, on, a, on a sort of more mass market. So for a company like Lutron, it's great to bring some really amazing tech and product to the high street where people wouldn't, wouldn't usually even consider that. Um, uh, you know, see, seeing the latest, you know, t TVs have been around for a long time, but seeing a TV in a different setting uh, or uh, a TFAL steamer and actually how it's uh, getting, getting creases out of your garments instantly, you know, seeing that and, and raising that consideration and showing that a purchase will happen a lot quicker after you've experienced the product is definitely the X marks the spot that we're trying to prove. So the attribution of sales is always going to be the holy grail for any form of marketing at some point. But launching new product, it's definitely the start of that funnel of consideration and how we how we shorten that journey. Um, you know, the the big the big win that I that I can definitely share was within six weeks, we had a £220,000 sports car with Maserati and one did get actually sold um, after somebody seeing it for the first time in situ. And that individual we know wouldn't have even considered Maserati as a brand before. So, you know, now that's a bit a bit different because it's a car and it's it's big and it's a bit more wow, but it it, it proves a point um, how we do that for lots of different brands at lots of different price points is is what we are um, now proving, I suppose, uh, and and that's that's the thesis that we've got to we've got to carry on doing. So I want to, um, yeah, Maserati on the right hand side as you walk in, very impressive, beautiful brand, obviously high end, and yet Tefal for for the French people uh, listening, they will know that that's not the highest end of of the cookery and crockery uh, side of the business. In, in Russia, there's a retail chain in the beauty area that's called the Golden Apple, nothing to do with Apple, um, probably everything to do with Eve, uh, was, um, puts luxury beside cheap products because that's what the consumer wants. And yet, if, you, if I know most boardrooms who are in luxury, they wouldn't want to say, well, huh, you know, why would my luxury item sit beside this 
you know, low end piece of, you know, and so talk us through the choice, the selection of brands that you have and the types of discussions with regard to the, 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 the range of offer that you have and, and does a Maserati fit comfortably beside Tifal? Um, yeah, and it's interesting. And, 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 and I know, by the way, I know what you mean by beside Tifal. Um, uh, in terms of adjacency, I think what we've managed to pull off is uh, a, a, I wouldn't, well, I wouldn't say luxury kitchen as an example. I would say a premium kitchen, a high quality kitchen with high quality stuff. Um, but we started with a shopper and what would they have in their life? And I think having a showpiece at the front, which is an interesting aspirational draw, um, has been something that has been really, really interesting. So um, we have seen probably two types of consumer. Uh, I think we've seen the, this is an aspirational draw. I'm really excited. I want to picture with a Maserati product because it is luxury. And then actually, as I've, as I've walked into the venue, it's opened up and it's opened up my, 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 my eyes. And we've got a, probably we're aiming for three different types of, of product for three different types of consumer. It's, I wouldn't even say good, better, best, but it's definitely, if you want premium bordering on luxury, if you want um, good quality bordering on premium, and if you want kind of just something that's very good quality, then in different product categories, we've got a different product to suit. Um, we can't obviously do that with cars at the moment in our space because we can only fit one car in. Um, so I think as the format starts to change and we expand our, our sizing, we can then you know, get, get more cars and, and, and play with that. So um, it's an interesting answer, I suppose, because I think it's it's somewhat aspirational. But then we have had the consumers that have seen it in the window and said, yeah, that's that's for me. And if, if you notice, and for anyone who hasn't been in, um, Maserati has its own almost little showpiece. So if you like, it's the living magazine. It's almost like a very good quality advertorial in the middle that you open and you see it and you go, wow, that's a good aspirational piece. So, yeah, and, and in answer to your question about product selection, you know, we're playing and learning. We, we have a, an editor, we have some sort of editor's choice. And, you know, we're, we're, I, th I think we're really going for sort of the premium, premium angle, but not, not premium be for people that can afford it. It's more, if you buy premium, we'll end up with less landfill because it lasts longer. And if you buy better quality, it actually works out, you know, better for you, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. One of the areas of interest for me is, is brands. And uh, obviously there's a lot written about how people are more interested in the purpose of brands and the uh, ecological footprint and so on with brands. And, and how much of the purpose of brands falls into your choice? Because at the end of the day, if, if schlocky premium brand, schlocky meaning no purpose, just out there to make a buck, comes to your store. I'd, I'd love to take a quarter of your store. I'm paying the premium plus 10%. Are you going to accept me? No, 100% not. And I can say that with conviction because we've turned some brands down on exactly exactly that. In fact, we've, made, we've turned a couple of brands down based on the fact that we, we actually just didn't feel that they, they understood what we were trying to do. And that's not meant to sound bullshit or arrogant. It's just, we are a very purposeful business. Um, you know, I, I, I say to a lot of people, and I, I hate to sound morbid, this is supposed to sound positive, 
uh, Minter, that we all die one day. It's a fact. That and taxes, they're two facts. Um, we've got to enjoy what we do and we've got to do it for the right reasons. And that that is my mantra for everybody. And if we stop enjoying it and we stop doing it for the right reasons, then we've obviously just gone in the wrong direction. So how on earth did that happen? And the fastest way for that to happen is the wrong um, customers, suppliers, et cetera, start, start leading you down the wrong path. So absolutely, when, when we talk to brands and we really understand that they have products and they want to help people live a better life, and that is the first tick in the box, then we know we can work together. I think when we have found brands that haven't, and we've sort of said, should we give it a go? It hasn't worked straight away for us. Um, it's got to be more purposeful and we've got to go on that journey together um, because it is a partnership. It's, it's not us taking money from brands. I've already said we're trying to get the lowest cost for brands to, to give the highest ROI. Um, so it, it's, it's, got to, it's got to work in that way. And I have to say some of the brands we work with now and almost mo most all of them, um, they are a fantastic bunch. I mean, the leadership teams get it. Um, you know, they, they are focused on their brand and getting good quality premium out there, not just sales. Uh, of course, we're looking for sales as well and brands are. But the leadership teams we're trading with and talking to, it's, it's such a fantastic group of individuals. So, um, yeah, I'm afraid I'm afraid your brand with paying 10 percent extra in the corner until you find your purpose, which you will do one day. Um, we we're going to have to reserve judgment. So a lot of department stores will have buyers. These buyers will be specialized in the category of white linen or, you know, or obviously more like a linen department or a uh, kitchen department and so on. So they'll be they'll be very familiar with all the ins and outs, the novelties and the brands where for you, uh, who's the buyer that can know what is, or of course, a luxury car, maybe it's Warren Richmond. Um, straight all the way down to the using the the Tefal steamer to the Sonos, which you, of course, you worked as well. But how does a buyer at Situ work? Because they, they have to be quite broad in their knowledge. Yeah, I think it's just really interesting. The, the two, two quick things. I mean, go back to commercial model. We've removed a lot of cost out of retail, including buyers that are highly expensive. Uh, and therefore, it allows the economic model to stand up. So that's one, one first tip. Um, the second thing is we we have um, a, a great uh, a great chief marketing op operating officer uh, sorry marketing officer who leads the charge on a lot of that category selection um, and probably name check James Day who who has been an editor for years uh, at a leading publication and has done so many reviews on product um, and actually just his mind and views on the latest things that are coming out for consumers and what's good and what's maybe not so good. Um, yeah, I think that that insight and that knowledge uh, and that fascination that he has, especially in the innovation and tech world, is really, really important. Um, so it's again, it's more uh, editorial selection, um, but that's hard, Minter, because, you know, then we have to either do we approach brands or if brands approach us, how do we play it? So we we have all collaborated on that. It's still early days. And with some brands, actually, as a leadership team, it came to a sort of on the move kind of debate. We've had this brand. We're not sure if it 100 percent fits. Can we do a show of hands and had a had a sort of vote between six? It'll never be me, by the way. I'll always be the the, the last the last vote. And always maintain I, I don't really want to make too many decisions I think it's, it's all about empowerment of others so 
So yeah, we, we, we have had those moments where we've said, not quite sure, let's take a vote. Um, but, but broadly, we've got some really good expertise on editorial and, and seeking out the latest gadgetry. Oh, and lastly, CES, which has just happened, uh, if you know, Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas every year, just happened in, in the beginning of Jan. Um, we, we always go every year. It's a great opportunity to find the latest innovation, the, the latest electronics. Um, and actually, it's been moving away from electronics, even to L'Oreal presented one year. Um, you know, we're getting plant-based burgers and food presenting there now. So, you know, even where a show like that is going in terms of innovation for the world is really fascinating. It sounds like a um, an editorial staff at a newspaper deciding what goes on the front page. And it seems like a very similar type of process, especially when you have an editor at the charge. Exactly. exactly. Right, so in the nitty gritty, another thing for me is to, to talk about the subscription model, because Maserati takes up quite a considerable footprint of your store. And I'm guessing Tefal takes a much smaller, um, I mean, obviously takes a much smaller footprint. How do you come up with a, a subscription pricing considering there's footprint uh, as well as uh, maybe like sound? That needs to travel like Sonos. It's not the footprint of the item underneath the television that you're going to be marking because you have an entire space set up to listen to the wonderful sound and really get that feeling in a private, almost like in, if it's in my living room, feeling um, because you can even put the blinds down around the outside. So how, how do you price these subscriptions? So we've got, we've got three tiers. We've got a really... Uh, exciting entry-level tier for the startup brand, the brand who hasn't been in retail yet, needs a really low price point. And actually, that's a model we've been playing with. That's probably our biggest learning mentor over the past few few months. Um, so we're, we're bringing that to life in the coming months. So you'll see some change there in the next editions. Um, we have a top-end uh, pricing, which is then more a kind of anchor uh, uh, subscription placement, which is more, as you've suggested, Maserati or something like uh, the, the Oculus, uh, where you need a kind of fixed um, area and it is more about space. But then for the rest of it, it's definitely around building the environment and then uh, a subscription per product, per brand um, to weave into that environment. Um, there's, there's a standard subscription charge to make it fair and easy. Um, but then there's a couple of, you know, logistics fees or, or you know, you know, additional costs if, it, if it's an oversized product uh, or, or needs um, heavy installation. Um, so in the main, we've got a standard subscription across across all in that middle tier, um, and and it's it it seems to work and it's fair it's fair for all. Um, but it's taken a couple of years to get even just the pricing right. Actually, to be to be honest. Well, I I, I imagined as much. So the last area I wanted to talk with you, Warren, is about getting situ known, because like we know, um, you need people to come. And you've got the attraction of being in front of Apple Store. I came over to it just because I'm always curious. I'm like, what, what is situ live? I see there are two sales assistants or, you know, like people, two women standing outside and I get interested in this experience and I look into the mirror and I, I slowly but surely get in into your model. What is Situ doing about marketing the brand and bringing people into the store? Where, where is your focus on that and what's working for you? Well, I have first question. I'm not sure if this is out of protocol, but would you come back, Minta, after experiencing it? I'm putting myself out there. Yeah, well, I, I would, but I wouldn't come back only. 
So it would be, huh, I'd be curious to see what's there now, what's changed because I've been. But that's also because that's sort of my curious nature. I want to see how they're yeah. evolving. And if I have time to spare, because that's the issue. Oftentimes I'm going for a specific item at a specific store. And if I need to wobble how, the path to the Apple store, there are many things that distract me. Oh, I'm, oh, I'll get a bite to eat. And where's my time going to be spent, my extra time? Before, but you know, certainly for me, I I, I think uh, I had a really interesting experience uh, exploring the new Sonos experience. I was like, oh, that'd be kind of cool, and I and I didn't have time to go do some cooking and check that out. But definitely, I, I feel a different experience in your store. The 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 trick and the challenge, of course, is not just getting into your store, but maybe to your website as well. So I'm I'm wondering for you how you can. Uh, you know, attract people to to do more explorations and so on. Where where are you going to find yeah. success there? And and I and I so I asked the question because I think the first thing we definitely want to make sure we get right is that it, it's a place that has enough that makes you want to come back if you're in Westfield. I mean, it's you know, I'm, I'm at this stage. Will people make a destination to come to sit you? We've got to give them a reason. Um, there there's a few really interesting initi initiatives. Uh, there's a, a record label that we are very, very close to now signing up for the stage, um, which then starts to put live um, well-known acts on the stage, signings like I, I remember HMV used to do on Oxford Street, which is just something that's missing and lacking in our world. So doing more of that type of activity, um, now we're um, not established yet, but we're open after you know, four months open or three and a half months. Um, we, we have now the opportunity to start to bring some of those um, other brands to life, uh, which, which obviously then helps the promotion of drawing us as a destination. So I think phase one was um, start to build a place that people want to come back to and start to create a reason to do that. So in the coming months, we'll, we'll see um, the membership program roll out. Um, so there is a reason we'll see initiatives, as I've already mentioned, like like the uh, the, the uh, record label. So those kind of things are going to be happening in terms of actually marketing. Uh, we we've played with a few different formats. Marketing is one of those things that could be the biggest the biggest expense for any business. Um, and again, could could really damage the, the model if you don't get it right, because you don't really know where the money's going and you just keep plowing money into it. Um, and, you know, of, of course, that might sound very cheap, uh, but we put more money into stuff, the costs go up or you need to get more investment, you know, you end up losing control. So we've we've played with different options um, and actually some of the some of the press activity that we've done uh, in the media uh, with The Times, et cetera, has, has gained us really great traction. So we've gained um, uh, quite a few members um, on the website. Again, it's, they've got to have a reason to come back. Uh, but quite a few members um, and, and a lot of footfall in. But the really interesting thing is we haven't really sought out any Google reviews yet, but we're starting to get five-star Google reviews, which is all nice because they're not forced. They just they just naturally happen. Um, but we're actually seeing people coming back. The, the, the teams in, in store, in venue, are seeing the same faces coming back. Um, and that's, that's a really nice feeling because people are coming back and looking at something again or getting another experience. Um, so, yeah, it's not a one size fits all answer at the moment. And I think we're trying to learn what is the best way um, of, of, of getting this to work. 
Um, the last thing I will say is a lot of brands um, are really wanting to use the influencers that they have. Um, and we're in, in talks with a lot of brands around bringing those um, celebrity influencers in, which again will then draw, draw, a, draw a footfall and a pull. Well, I've always said that the, the strength of experience is what drives word of mouth. And if you can create surprises, you can create unicity in those experiences, some sort of sense of deep personalization to form Minter, for me, this thing, and I, I get to go have this experience. It's a little bit different from everybody else, or at least outside of situ, then uh, that, that'll help uh, spread the word. Warren, lovely to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming in. I know you've been under the weather recently, but it didn't sound it for a second, given your energy. How can people find out more about Situ Live as well as Warren Richmond? Uh, situlive.com is the place to go, or better still, get out and support uh, physical retail and head, head down to Westfield uh, in London, in White City. Um, I'm on LinkedIn heavily. So if anyone looks up my name on LinkedIn, please connect with me. I'd lo love to chat to people. And if anyone wants to start a conversation, I'm a talker, as you can hear, Minter. Um, and uh, it's been lovely talking to you. I'm glad I only got one trombone and uh, I need to now work out where I'm getting a Spotify tattoo. So that's my big takeout. From today. Hey, listen, great. Thank you very much. Take care. Thanks, Minter. Bye. Thanks for having listened to this episode of the Minter Dialogue podcast. If you like the show and would like to support me, please consider a donation on patreon.com forward slash interdial. You can also subscribe on your favorite podcast service. And as ever, rating and reviews are the real currency for podcasts. You'll find the show notes with over 2,000 and more blog posts on minterdial.com. Check out my documentary film and four books, including my last one, You Lead, How Being Yourself Makes You a Better Leader. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man. I like the feel of a stranger tucked around me, precipitating the danger.
precipitating the danger to feel free trust in my reason and let me show you why i'm a convinced man practicing my lines i'm a convinced man here in these confines a convinced man in the arms of a woman I'm a convinced man, me to the test. I'm a convinced man. I'm ready for an arrest. I'm a convinced man in the arms of a woman. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary, yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you, and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.